Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Character and Smallman on a Monday on 101 ESPN at seven o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We're going to talk to the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, during today's show. We're also going to talk to John Boy from the interwebs. Jimmy O'Brien wants to get kids back involved in baseball, so that'll be fun. Coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, Michelle, how was your weekend? Randy, it was great. We had some sunshine in here in St. Louis, so I was happy. How about you? Everything was good. Great bike riding weather and golfing weather on Saturday and then... Yesterday kind of chilled out, as we all know, and uh, I, I just did stuff around the house. I got my grills cleaned. I'm ready for the summer now with my, my grills. So that means carrot cakes for all? You betcha. <laughs> you know it. Uh, it was not a great weekend sports. <laughs> Michelle, where, where are we? What's going on here? Oh, it's the panic bus. Oh, our old friend. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, I, I'm about to get on, Michelle. How about you? Randy, I have purchased my ticket. It's not punched yet, but it is in my passport on my phone, ready for entry at any time. As you know, I drive the panic bus. That's right. So it's important for me to get that baby started up and taken off and get it rolling. And uh, if ever, anybody wants to climb aboard, they're more than welcome to. We're... We're just going to roll along here for a while on the panic bus. My concern level is getting ratcheted up because I feel like we have run out of, well, if X happens, then the Blues will be better. If, if If the players find chemistry, then they'll be better. If guys return from injury, then we'll see some more consistency. All of these things have slowly started to happen, and we're running out of time. Here's the scary thing is that, as you said, the injured guys are back. I think we can all agree that effort isn't an issue. They're trying hard. Yes. They aren't sacrificing. They're providing effort. But here's my stat of the day. Last 11 games, the Blues have scored 18 goals. Mm -hmm. 18 goals in their last 11. Nine of those came in two games. A five-goal game and a four-goal game. This is regulation goals, by the way. So... In the other nine, the Blues have scored nine. It's hard to win when you're scoring one goal a game. But the shots are there. Yeah. You know? and, and, well, that's- and that's sacrifice. That's going to the net. That's blocking the goalie's eyes. That's making sure that a, bo- a puck can bounce off of you into the net. That's just a matter of sacrifice. That's just a matter of, of want to and try hard and not being worried about the puck hitting you. That's right. And yesterday when they struck first, 
I thought, well, they haven't scored first in nine games. This will definitely mm-hmm. change the momentum that they're looking for, especially since Craig Bruby had blended up the lines, and hopefully that provided a spark. You had Vladimir Tarasenko scoring a goal, which is another thing the Blues had been looking for more of, and then they end up losing the game anyway. All of these things that would have normally been signs of them fi- figuring things out and signs of progress ended up being for nothing because they, yeah. they lost the game. And as you mentioned, not only did O'Reilly score, but it was just 227 in, and and then before the first period was out, it was Vladdy getting on the board. Yeah, we know how tight it's going to be. The Blues are going to go to an Amron, Missouri power play. Proved to Tarasenko. Score! Vladimir Tarasenko. A one-timer, a slap shot under the bar. And the Blues with a power play goal take a 2-0 lead. 4-0-1 to go here in period number one. That's another part of it. The a power play goal. Get the power play working. Yeah, the rare one-timer for Vladdy, and you could see the smile on his face mm-hmm. after he had been waiting for that. Craig Bruby had talked about that before the game, about how Vladdy was upset with his goal production and was looking for that to instill some confidence. So at that moment, if you're a Blues fan, you're, you're feeling pretty good about things. Yeah, but you have the most dangerous lead in hockey, Michelle. Yeah, that's Two-goal true. lead is that's the most true. dangerous lead. Cam Fowler scores for the Ducks in the second period. Blues take a 2-1 lead into the third. Adam Henrique scores 2-13 into the third. And then in overtime, Josh Manson with a brilliant goal. Give him credit. But you did lose two in a row to the Ducks. When they had a third-string goalie. Yeah. So all of that was bad. And so you, you naturally wonder, Craig Berube, what happened? What changed after that 2 nothing lead in the first period? Coach, what do you think happened at the end of the game? Um, why do you think it got away from the Blues when you guys had such a good dominating first period and lead? What do you think happened afterwards? So uh, what's your specific question about the end of the game? Like the tie game, like what do you mean? I mean, what are you trying to say? Or what do you, what do you be more specific? Uh, what do you think changed between the first period Nothing. and the second and third? Nothing. He's a little upset. Wouldn't you be if you were him? Yeah, I would be. He's clearly trying a lot of different mm-hmm. things to get the consistency and the effort level that he needs from this team. And it seems like Craig Bruby, who so often during his tenure with the Blues, has always had that magic touch, mm-hmm. has always found some way to mix things up and extract the best out of not only individuals, but the team as a whole. And when he keeps trying things and the results are the same, I would be frustrated too. Especially because the effort is there. This isn't like down the stretch of Mike Yo, when right. the team just quit on him. Absolutely. They're trying. They just, they're trying except for one aspect of the game, which is very important. Players always talk about, we need to sacrifice more. We need to play for each other more. Part of that is going to the net. It's not like they aren't getting shots. I mean, they're, they're out shooting their opponent by a wide margin yes. every night, getting 35, 40 shots on net. But when the goalie can see them all, it's not going to work. So, Ryan O'Reilly, your team right now in the Honda West Division is behind Vegas, it's behind Colorado, it's behind Minnesota, and only one point ahead of the Arizona Coyotes. 38 points for the Blues, 37 for the Coyotes. Ryan O'Reilly, what do you think of that? Yeah, we know how tight it's going to be. and Yeah, these are, you know, every point matters right now. And we desperately need that, that extra one. Yeah, you know, we have to put this behind us and take this this little break we have, get rested, and, you know, it's not getting any easier. we got Colorado next, and these are big games, big games for us and, and big points, and we got to, yeah, get a rest and shift our focus to them, and, and uh, yeah, we we got to take it one at a time here. It's going to be... Uh, 
it's going to be a tough, tight race, but, uh, you know, I, I believe we can do it. Got to take them one at a time. It's going to be a tough, tight race. I believe we can do it. We need to get a little bit more cliche in here. But what else can he possibly say? Nothing. No, except for, hey, we need guys to do the things that allow a team like us to score in the NHL. It's not like they have Connor McDavid. It's not like they're loaded up with real skilled goal scorers. They have Tarasenko, but they don't have snipers. The, the way that they're going to win is by doing the the every player talks about getting the greasy goals. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't get greasy goals unless you're willing to put your skates in the grease. Yeah, get in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think if you're Ryan O'Reilly and you're the captain, you know that everybody in that dressing room knows what's up. Everybody mm-hmm. in there is angry. Everybody in there is probably beyond frustrated, and you don't want to add to that, especially to have guys go on this mini break and stew over it. You need everybody to have a really, really short memory, turn the page, and come back with a sense of desperation. That's what they need. And by the way, I will say this. I do think that that winning goal yesterday, if you have Pareko on the ice, probably doesn't get scored they need Colton Pareko back, too, because they Big just time. don't have a shutdown defender on defense right now. They they had three. They have four. They have Pareko, Petrangelo, Bo Meester. I guess three. Uh, but they don't have any right now. I never thought that we wouldn't be missing Jay Bo Meester this much. No, no. <laughs> like, we, we knew are. he was talented, but boy, is his absence glaring. Yep. The Elite Eight is set. The Elite Eight will start tonight. You've got 12-seeded Oregon against number two seed Houston. That's at 6-15 on CBS. Uh, Houston with a win over Buddy Beheim and Syracuse, 62-46. to Top seed of Baylor takes on Arkansas. You've also got number one Gonzaga against USC tomorrow. And keeping that... Pac-12 magic going UCLA with a win over Alabama last night. They'll play top seed of Michigan in the regional final. Other than Michigan and Gonzaga, what an interesting collection of, of teams you have left on the board. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> and I, I, don't, I don't can't imagine that there are many brackets that are doing really well here. I mean, when well, you have Baylor too. Yeah, you've got a, a you've got a number twelve. Uh, number, by the way, uh, Arkansas. Uh, Number one, Baylor beating Villanova. And then Arkansas with the win over Oral Roberts Mm -hmm. before last night. You thought that Arkansas had all of the momentum going in. Right. It was just very cool. Alabama. I'm I'm sorry. UCLA and Alabama last night. Do you have any Final Four teams remaining? Because I am 0 for 4. I've got number one, Michigan. I've got number one, Gonzaga and Gonzaga. And number one, Baylor. I had those four number one. Congratulations. So I think I might just based on what I'm hearing from you right now, I think I might win our little contest here. Oh, it's it's done. <laughs> I, I caught a huge L with this one, a huge L. <laughs> because I bet on my school, Randy, and it did not work out. Ah, uh, we'll get them next time. Sure. <laughs> sure we will. So we've got games tonight, <laughs> 6 o'clock and 8 o'clock here on uh, 101 ESPN. So you'll be able to hear all of the Elite eight, 8 action tomorrow, tonight and tomorrow. With the Blues off, we'll have NCAA basketball for you here on 101 ESPN. Looking forward to that. All right, we're off and running. And uh, the question is, is it officially time to hit that panic button? There are a lot of reasons to think yes, but our Blues have been through some bad times before. So is it official? We want to hear from you with your mic drops and your 101 ESPN Air Comfort Service text line number 65780. You can use that next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> The Cardinals will play their final spring training game today down in Florida. It's pretty amazing that the Cardinals have raced through this so quickly. But here we are, Michelle, the last day of spring training for the Cardinals. They'll break camp and play in Cincinnati on Thursday for the regular season opener. Thank goodness, Randy. I don't know about you, but I am ready for some Cardinal baseball. I am too, and the Cardinals have their roster ready. Yesterday, they sent Cody Whitley to the minor leagues. They sent Lane Thomas to the minor leagues. Also reassigned catchers Tyler Heineman and Dennis Ortega and infielders Max Moroff and Jose Rondon. And Dakota Hudson will be placed on the IL. No surprise there. Also, KK is going to start the year on the IL. Michaelis and Bader. So, here's what you have. John Nagoski has made the team. Edmundo Sosa has made the team. Austin Dean has made the team along with Justin Williams and Jake Woodford. So your 26-man opening day roster is set. It'll be officially submitted to Major League Baseball on Thursday morning. So some surprises. I I would not have thought at the beginning of camp, certainly, that John Nagoski would make the team. I wouldn't have thought last week that Sosa would beat out a uh, guy like Rondon, who had a very good spring, but the Cardinals have a lot of investment in Sosa over the years. They want to see what he's capable of doing. And then Austin Dean and Justin Williams, we didn't look at those two as your fourth and fifth outfielders during the course of spring training, but there they are. There they are. Yeah, I was so thrilled to see John Nagowski's name on that list, but I think he'd done everything that he possibly could. The Cardinals were forced to not make any other decision other than to include him. And I'm excited to see what he can do when he gets the opportunity at the major league level. But yeah, I think the the shock for most people might've been the Sosa Rondon Mm -hmm. decision because Rondon seemingly had a much better spring. Right. It's just a matter of their feelings about the investment in the guy and getting the guy, the opportunity at the major league level. Meanwhile, your outfield is going to look like Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill. You'll have Dean, you'll have, uh, Justin Williams, you'll have Nagoski, and here's what Mike Schilt said when asked about what his outfield's going to look like. Yeah, I do see it that way. Um, I see Tyler in left, I see Dylan in center, and um, and then, you know, right field will be based on, you know, our <clears throat> roster will be, you know, uh, talked about uh, later and, 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 and um, presented to you in the public, so we can get into greater detail there, but you know, clearly right field will be a little bit more of um, an open space that somebody hopefully will take and run with. Yeah, hopefully it just won't be an open space. Yeah, let's hope not. (laughs) (laughs) But again, this feels like deja vu because how many years in a row have we been saying, we hope one of these outfielders takes this opportunity and runs with it. We hope one of these outfielders really cements themselves and separates themselves from the pack. I've heard that before, but I really do hope 2021 is the year where we have a little bit more stability as far as who we think is going to be the foundational pieces for the outfield. And isn't it interesting? We always say, well, maybe the Cardinals will make a move. Maybe they'll uh, do something to find another outfielder. When you have Williams and Dean on your roster, you are giving guys legitimate chances mm-hmm. to be evaluated. Yes. And and so we'll we'll have those guys. Another guy who makes the team, despite having a less than stellar spring training, is... Matt Carpenter. Matt Carpenter hitting 029 oh, during spring training. Yeah, it was That hurts me when you say that. Yeah. I physically reacted to that. It, it was it was actually pretty brutal when you when you look at it, but 
he he's done enough to be he signed a contract so he's on the team uh where is he right now skipper probably a far better place than, than a lot of people would be you know and carp's um carp's taking rightful um uh ownership of the process and believing in it and you know look we're not naive that you know you say well the process hadn't yield, yielded results but the process is has yielded a lot of balls that have been hit hard and, and you know look if you can start to control the ball after at least the bat let us know because we'd love to get some of that um yeah you know he's he's in a good spot mentally he's ready he's he's understanding his um opportunities and is ready for him um like our whole team is and he's ready to compete today and he's got a good level head about where he's at and what he's doing and and um you know we'll get him at bats today and Hopefully you can even, as the old saying goes, hit him where they ain't today. I'm glad he's in a good place mentally. But, Randy, this is someone that's going to be 36 this year in November. I don't think we're going to trust the process. I don't think we want to invest emotionally or from a time perspective in trusting the process at this stage of the game. No. He, one for 36 is one for 36. I don't care if you... If you're not hitting them where they ain't, I don't care about exit velocity at this point. Mm-hmm. One for 36 and a slugging percentage of 056. And by the way, in those 36 at bats, 13 strikeouts. So it doesn't matter where the infield is set up, it doesn't matter where the shift is right. when you strike out. So after the game, after another 0 for 4 Carpenter, Schilt was asked his thoughts about Carpenter heading into the season. I said before the game, you know, maybe we hit them where they ain't. And, um, He's saving it for the season. You know, he lines out first pitch he sees off of Lester, and he uh, works a walk. So I think Carp's, you know, swinging the balls in the zone, getting some barrel to him. Got to find some pasture or, or seats at some point, and he will. Do you think anytime Mike Schilt gets asked about Matt Carpenter that he kind of steals himself up inside? Because he doesn't want to say anything negative about him. Right. Of course not. He, Matt, or Mike Schilt doesn't want to say anything negative about any of his players, but I, I think it's clearly a sensitive subject what's happening with Matt Carpenter right now because he is a guy that's really respected within this organization. And it has to be difficult from a managerial standpoint to finesse this enough to where it's not going to be something that's asked about all the time. But until he, A, turns it around, or B, they make a move some way, shape, or form, he's going to be asked about it every single day. And so I'm going to paraphrase what a reporter asks. Well, What's, what's the positive about Matt Carpenter? <laughs> it allows me the opportunity to um, to say exactly what, you know, we talk about being selfless on a, on a team that is just that. It's a team. It's a, for the greater good mentality. And um, it's, it's a great word to use. It's a really hard thing to be. And Matt Carpenter is, is really the perfect example of selflessness on what's taking place right now. He's going to come off the bench. He's going to earn his opportunities. Um, and he'll, you know, I don't have any doubt that something will happen this year. It'll create more opportunities for him. Um, so, you know, he, he team guy, speak, spoke about it right after we got Arenado, called Clark. He's as excited as anybody I spoke to, and the excitement level was, was really, and still is really high. He said, I'll do what it takes. It's going to make us better. That's what we're here for. And he's here to win. And that's what winners do. They look at the big picture and uh, they want more, but they accept what they can do and they accept it and they say, okay, where do I put my piece? That's the definition of selflessness. 
no one is questioning Matt Carpenter, the person. No one is questioning Matt Carpenter, the teammate. He's been the consummate Cardinal ever since he first joined this organization. I don't think that's ever been put into question. But this is a results-based business. This is a production-based business. And when you've garnered all this goodwill from your fan base that was pretty restless for a while, when you made the acquisition to bring in Nolan Arenado, you opened up a window to win. And... Just because you did that doesn't mean that the fan base isn't going to have all of those feelings again if they keep seeing someone like Matt Carpenter who cannot produce runs for you, mm-hmm. isn't providing hits for you, and then your response afterwards is that he's essentially a good guy, that we like to have him around. Right. F- and fans you, here know the deal. Yeah. They know about the contract. They know what's up. Right. But it's, that's not going to play very long is all I'm getting at. No, and it might be one of those situations like they had with the superfluous H Johnny Peralta back in 2017 started the season with him. And then by the end of the first month, he had been released. If everybody's contract is equal, if everybody's making the exact same amount of money and you look at a 36 year old carpenter performing, not only the way he did in spring training, but the way he did last year. And you look at Ron Doan, who's younger, better defensively, had a better offensive spring. If everybody's making the same amount of money, you take Ron Doan, right? Absolutely. So the question that I think is fair and reasonable to ask is, are the Cardinals giving themselves the best opportunity to win on a nightly basis? Do they have their best 26 players? No, at the beginning of the season, they are not going to have their best 26 players on the roster. And isn't that a gripe that many fans have had for a while? That the contract plays, not the talent, not the production. And when... When the response from the club and from Mike Schilt is to trust the process, we're seeing some positive things. I think a lot of fans could at least get partially behind that if it was one of these young outfielders. Like a lot of people have beef with Harrison Bader, but he is young and he hasn't necessarily reached his full potential yet. So I think a lot of people could buy into that at least somewhat. And he's not making a ton of money. And he's not making a ton of money. If, If you told fans to trust the process with someone like him, they might not like it, but at least part of their rational brain could understand it. There's no part of this Matt Carpenter situation that anyone really believes no. we should trust the process. And I'm the first person to hope that he turns it around. I hope that he comes out and he somehow it clicks together and we see production out of him. I would love that. I would love for him to come on our show and say, told you so, told you so. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think that's likely. And I think the other thing that we have to keep in mind, at least I hope this is the case, that we are complaining about a guy who among the the 13 position players is probably the 13th position player. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, I, I, I say this for him as much as anybody, there won't come a time where he has to play a lot because Edmund should play every day. Arenado and Goldschmidt are going to play every day. And Paul DeYoung should play pretty much every day. I'm thinking that Edmund and DeYoung, if everybody stays healthy, play 120 to 130 games each. And Arenado and Goldie should play 120. 50 to 160 games each. So if everything goes well, hopefully we won't have to see a lot of him being overwhelmed. And that's probably what the Cardinals are thinking, that the opportunities for him are going to be so limited that it's not going to be that big of a deal. And he can be selfless and he can help the team in that way. Meanwhile, Mike Schilt also had the opportunity to tell John Nagowski that he had made the team out of spring training. Um, You know, that's one of the best parts of the job, you know, being on a share and, um, reward somebody for their sacrifice, dedication, and commitment to doing exactly what they set out to do. And, and, you know, Nagowski was clear. He was on a mission to make this team. And what's what's it like to share with him? It's, it's, it's fantastic. And unfortunately we have masks and that, you know, you get to see, you know, wonderful, enthusiastic Christmas morning smiles, you know, get, get, get masked. Um, 
but he was, you know, he was appropriately happy and also expecting of the opportunity. It's pretty cool that he has worked for it. He's 28 years old. And if you're the Cardinals, especially after the Luke Voigt, I don't know if we can call it a disaster, but the Luke Voigt experience. Incident. Incident, yeah. You, you've got <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word uh, either, a but... hefty first baseman that's been in your system for a long time that you really haven't given an opportunity to. You better give this one an opportunity. Absolutely. And I love the way Mike Schultz described it, a Christmas morning smile, yeah. because that is the best part about spring training is when a John Nagowski comes along and blossoms. And it was an unexpected thing that happened. And I he's more than earned it. But that has to be very cool for the skipper to be able to deliver the news to someone like him. And again, final spring training game today, the opener Thursday in Cincinnati for the Cardinals coming up. As eight burning questions continue, it's number six. Will the Jeff Albert hitting approach work in 2021? That's coming your way with Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Prepare to initiate burn. O'Neal, deep right at the wall. Eight burning questions for the Cardinals 2021 season. Number six. And uh, later on, coming up at 8 o'clock, we want to find out from you whether or not you're going to join us on the panic bus for your St. Louis Blues. Kind of scuffling these days. So you can send us a mic drop with the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. You can send us a text, 65780. We want to hear from you coming up at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. Is it officially time to hit the panic button and get on that panic bus? My ticket is purchased. My bags are packed. I'm in line, but I'm yet to take my seat on the panic bus. Okay. I might let the bus go by. I might miss my bus, but (laughs) I'm getting ready to board. We'll put it that way. Michelle, let's talk some Cardinal baseball. Speaking of the panic bus, (laughs) the Cardinal offense has kind of scuffled last year. And the Cardinals don't look. John Mozeliak is on record saying we do not evaluate hitters or therefore our team by batting average. They look at OPS. They look at war. Last year, and I'm willing to throw last year out. Right, sure. In the truncated season, 15 teams in the National League. The Cardinals were 14th. That's 14 out of 15 in OPS with an OPS of 694 under their hitting instructor, hitting coach, Jeff Albert. The year before that, they were 11th in OPS under Albert. And and by the way, that number was 737. That has led to a deficiency in runs. The Cardinals were 10th in runs in Albert's first year in 2019. Then last year, uh, you're hoping that it would get a little bit better because you have a guy that uh, is into his second year. And the Cardinals have told us, hey, trust the process. Cardinals second to last in runs last year in the National League. Pittsburgh had 219. The Cardinals had 240. Cincinnati had 243. Everybody talks about how horrible the offensive year was for the Reds. Well, the Cardinals was even worse. So the burning question today is, well, will the Jeff Albert approach work with the Cardinals here in St. Louis. So Derek Gould, oh, as always, has great coverage over at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, steeltoday.com, and he actually wrote about this recently where he spoke to Jeff Albert about the air quotes Jeff Albert approach. And I'm always someone, Randy, that, that thinks that the hitting coach should enhance things slightly, but it seems like when the the 
divide happened between Mark Brudaska, the Buddha, Mm -hmm. and Jeff Albert when the Cardinals decided we are going all in on this analytics approach. We need one consistent theme from an offensive approach within the organization, and we're going to go behind Jeff Albert. That is when this became, at least to me, more of a topic because it it was about the approach. It's not about the person coming in to enhance individuals here or there like Buddha essentially did, at least from what I gathered, but a, a big overarching approach for the Cardinals offensive approach or offensive um, thoughts here. So in the piece, Jeff Albert described a, a quote, successful offense with three pillars. And as soon as I heard pillars, I went, oh, we're going here again. We're going with pillars. <laughs> no, we're not going there. Something in St. Louis sports <laughs> is scuffling and we're going back to pillars. But anyway, he said it's swinging at strikes, hitting line drives and hitting the ball hard. And within the piece, they talk about how the Cardinals walk rate has been up in 2020, which is the club's highest since 2000. There's all of these different things that are discussed that would lead a fan to read the piece and, and understand that maybe things are turning the bend. For me, this is a classic classic case of don't tell me about the labor show me the baby show me the runs show me the runs and if this approach is so great why is it taking three seasons to implement that's what i'm concerned about what about someone like nolan arenado or another young player that's coming up for the first time or perhaps a new player that's coming into the system are we all of a sudden a supposed to assume it's going to take them years to get to get on board mm-hmm. with this. It's going to be years before they get acclimated to this approach. And I know that that's not completely fair and it's not one person that we can blame for this. But when the Cardinals say we are going behind this person's approach and we're not seeing any production, that's when you, you say A plus B equals C. And I'm hoping that 2021 is the year where it all clicks and everything comes together. But I don't want to hear about the labor. Show me the baby. And all due respect, you can walk a lot, but if you're trying to hit the ball hard and trying to get the ball out of the ballpark, you're trying to slug, and you can't, you don't hit for power, what good is walking? Why not swing the bat and try to get people on base that way? Because that, to me, is the essence of baseball. Really hard to drive somebody home from second with a walk. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never seen it done, as <laughs> a matter of fact. So uh, I think the Cardinals could do better there. And to your point about heading into the third year, a guy like Kevin Long, who's long been regarded as one of the best hitting coaches in baseball, he's with Washington now, and they're raving about how much better Josh Bell is performing since they got him from Pittsburgh. had a horrible year last year with the Pirates. They say that Josh Bell, and by the way, Kyle Schwarber too, have really taken to the teachings, the old school teachings, by the way, of Kevin Long and that they expect their offense is going to be better based on what they've seen in spring training. I think we can look at some situations here. I think we can, first of all, look at some people that aren't here anymore. How long it took a guy like Colton Wong to step up and and mm-hmm. be, I, I don't know if he was great, but just to be close to league average offensive player. Why has Harrison Bader regressed? Why was Harrison Bader a 265 hitter two years ago and his numbers, at least in terms of batting average, and again, the Cardinals say that they don't care about batting average. I do. Why has Harrison Bader become at least in terms of hitting the ball, a worse hitter than he was two years ago. The Cardinals say that they need to evaluate their outfielders. Well, do you have any concern about Tyler O'Neill, who has had a great spring, but told us 
that his primary work to get better happened in the offseason, mm-hmm. not during the season. Is that a concern? I, I think that there are legitimate concerns. The question for the past few seasons has been, is the talent not good enough or is the approach somehow prohibiting the talent from thriving? And I think we're going to find out this year, but it is kind of insane when you think about the fact that we're on year three of this experiment and we're still asking the same questions. And I think a lot of times the hitting coach gets unfairly maligned by the media, by the fans. It's easy to point at one person and blame them for ineffectiveness with the offense. But I think here in St. Louis, we have seen a hitting coach in Mark McGuire who has made individuals better. I mean, we would not have had David Freeze be David Freeze if Mark McGuire didn't see something in him and extract the best out of him. And then he goes on the postseason that he did. He's the one that saw it. So I do think that a hitting coach can make individuals better, but we're yet to see it here. And I believe that it's more reasonable to be critical when you're trying to reinvent the wheel. And you're trying to get hitters to think and do things that hitters, and specifically your hitters, haven't done in the past. When you have hitters talking about being overloaded with information mm-hmm. and the the organization saying, well, th- this is the way it's going to be. This is the way offense is going to be. And it's not working. I think that's more reasonable to criticize than if you have a hitting coach that is taking an old school approach like Kevin Long, like uh, even a John Mabry did. John Mabry wasn't overloading these guys with information. They just didn't perform. And sometimes you have guys that provide one little tip and McGuire was as good as anybody who could see and implement one little thing that would, whether it was raising hands or uh, opening up the stance a little bit so that you saw the pitch better, seeing one little thing rather than saying, okay, there's this, 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 and this that you have to pay attention to. I also think these are people who know more about baseball than I ever will in my entire life. And they're so smart at at what they do. Clearly they can drill into these analytics and see what they need to see or what they want to see. But from just a strictly observational standpoint, you can tell me all you want about exit velocity, et cetera, et cetera. Where are the runs? Like it always is going to come back to the most simple question in this entire conversation is I'm not seeing the production. You might be seeing some things on a chart or on a spreadsheet that give you hope but I from my seat am not seeing the runs that I I would think that you would hope would be happening if all of these these numbers and these analytics were bearing out and again to reinforce your point last year 14th of 15 teams in the National League and runs scored and the year before that they were 10th 12 13 14 I want to make sure I get this right 15 14 13 12 11 yeah 10th so 10th two years ago 14th last year that's what it comes down to, right? That's The proof is in the pudding. There's no, you don't get credit for exit velocity. You don't get credit for barreling up balls. <laughs> right. You win games by scoring runs. Right. Um, I also think it's indicative of what has been happening from an offensive standpoint when we constantly, or at least for the past two seasons, have said the Cardinals have succeeded in spite of their offense. Yeah. If the Cardinals didn't have such sound pitching depth or, or, or such sound defense, they this would be a much, much bigger problem. Yeah. If I, one more point here. If I'm Bill DeWitt Jr., I'm down in spring training, masked up, but I'm going to Jeff Albert and put my arm around him and <laughs> point to Arenado and say, see that guy? And Albert says, yeah. I say, you don't have to worry about him. <laughs> He's good. 
You don't don't you don't even need to say a word to him. You know what? Let's He's just fine. avoid both corners while we're at it. Just <laughs> yeah. just let both those guys do whatever they need to do. <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, <laughs> get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. By the way, that was your sixth of eight burning questions on 101 ESPN. Randy, this might surprise you, but we're getting a lot of texts about this topic. Well, I'm glad. Good. <laughs> I think this question might have been burning a little stronger than, <laughs> than some others. <laughs> so we'll, we'll bring this back around the bend a little later in the show. But next up, we've got Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> All right, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, Randy, Emily with you. Michelle, you know about Instagram official, don't you? I do. Danny Mac has introduced yeah. me to IO. IO. Uh, well, here's an issue. Oh, no. For us. Yeah, it's kind of big. So, Nick Bosa of the uh, San Francisco 49ers. Yes. He's gone IO with Jenna Berman, who, oh, by the way, former. Significant others with Cardinal right-hander Jack Flaherty. Oh, no. Take it or leave it. You're concerned about Thursday. I'm going to leave it because I like an angry Jack Flaherty. I don't want him overthrowing. I don't want him to be so upset. How do we know that Jack didn't cut ties with Jenna? How do we know that Jack is not pleased that Jenna's gone I.O. with someone else? He's not going to be happy either way, whether he dumped her or not. He's not going to be happy that she's I.O. with another professional athlete. I don't know, Randy. And she's showing it off to her 250,000 followers on the Insta. How many of those are real, though? After I watch Fake Famous, the HBO documentary, Mm -hmm. anybody like that, I'm like, are those real or did you buy them? I don't know. I'm going to question everyone's follower count from now on. We're talking about Instagram here. Yeah, we're talking about Instagram, okay? (laughs) We're talking about Instagram. (laughs) But Randy, maybe you might, she... With her, you might wonder multiple times whether they're real or she bought them. <laughs> Randy. <laughs> you know, I don't know their relationship, Randy. I don't know the intricacies of it. I don't know how it ended. Sometimes if you have a bad breakup with someone and you're the one that pulled the ripcord, you're thrilled that someone else has moved sure. on with them because then they're out of your hair. Okay. So, so maybe Jack is pumped. So I don't you know. you are worried you're very confident in Jack's ability to focus completely yes 100 percent. because if we look at it through either lens if he cut ties with her and she's moved on he's relieved Mm -hmm. one less thing on on his mental plate before he takes the ball for the cardinals to open the season if he's in any way upset or angry another log on the intensity fire i'm not mad at that either randy you know when you go through a breakup sometimes Mm -hmm. if if she dumped him if it was a bad breakup what do you do you want to get that revenge body sure and you know what jack flaherty will do he wants the revenge body of work he wants to have such a great season that she's gonna be constantly peeking on his instagram page okay i'm I'm down with that that's cool good you know what he wants he wants when she's snuggled up with bosa and they're flipping through the channels maybe watching sports center to see him on there on the sports center top 10 that's what he wants on ESPN, huh? I hope she flips over to MLB Network. <laughs> <laughs> and something tells me that they might not be watching MLB Network a lot if her ex-boyfriend's a baseball yeah, player. Yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> okay, well, speaking of that, Randy, well, not really, but there's, I guess, some sort of a connection here. I'm going to just read you a headline. Prince William named world's sexiest bald man, according to a new Google study. Mm. Take it or leave it. You want to recount? I totally want to recount. So what Google did here is that they had people 
look at Google Analytics, and they searched how many times a bald person had been called sexy in various online blogs and articles around the internet. Mm-hmm. And the results found that Prince William had been called sexy sexy 17.6 million times. Now, compared to other bald people like Jason Statham, Pitbull, Michael Jordan, The Rock, Bruce Willis, Vin Diesel, I'm thinking there's some home cooking going on in England because there is no way with some of the names that I mentioned on that list that Prince William should be at the top. No offense. I say that with all due respect. Mm-hmm. He's not even totally bald. He's still hanging on. And again, with all due respect, but never having to work a day in your life and being a billionaire does make you a little bit sexier for a lot of women. Every person I named on that list is rich and famous. Yeah. And worked for it. Well, either way, I think if that's the attract yeah. attraction factor for totally whoever's searching, yeah. then I mean, the, we're talking about The Rock. I know, yeah, and the Michael Jordan, yeah. So you're you're a hundred percent right there. There's absolutely no doubt that uh, Prince William cannot be the guy. And I think, also take it or leave it, if you're going to be considered bald, then you need to have no hair on your yep, head. Fair. And he's got some patches. So how is he? considered the sexiest bald guy when he still has some hair on his head. I'll tell you from a male perspective, this is wrong. <laughs> this is just wrong. Yeah, Randy is outraged. Well, I am because <laughs> I don't see in what world you find that guy sexy. Prince William? Yeah. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that do. 17.6 million times he's been called sexy. I think Well, as social media has proven, not everybody is very intelligent. One thing that we have to keep in mind, Michelle, and I I learned this way too late, but there has to be a stupidest person in the world. I wonder who it is. I don't know, but there's a lot of them vying for the title on social media. So many people in the conversation for stupidest person (laughs) in the world. I wonder who it is, though. Wouldn't you love to be able to quantify that somehow? I would love to know that. Because it's it's clearly way more than a lack of an education. We're talking Mm -hmm. ignorance across the board. Yeah. I would love to meet that person. I would too. I think it'd be kind of entertaining. Do you, Sad, think, do you think we would approach them like Buddy the Elf? Congratulations, you did it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Best cup of coffee in the world. <laughs> Dumbest person alive. <laughs> Emily, what do you have for us? From the 636, take it or leave it, Nolan Arenado hits 40 home runs this year. I'm leaving that. That seems like an aggressive number. Yeah. He has hit 43 different times, led the National League in home runs three different times. But I do think that playing in more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark will probably preclude him from hitting 40. I agree. From the 314, take it or leave it, Matt Carpenter is the first pinch hitter off the bench this season. I'm going to leave that. Who do you think it is? I think also I could see them trying to protect him because I have this scenario in my head where I envision him going up there, striking out, and it's really sad for everybody. Yeah. And I can see them wanting to protect him. I, here's one thing also is that you you might have him in their mind. They might be saving him for the night. So you're starting, you've got a left-handed pitcher starting for the opposition. They bring in a right-hander in the seventh inning. Justin Williams didn't start the game. He comes in and pinch hits. And Mike Schilt is thinking, okay, I need a walk in the ninth. So I'm going to save my carpenter bullet for the ninth. Yeah. And then he strikes up. 
What are they thinking? Less people there? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) From uh, the 314, take it or leave it, Matt Carpenter gets over 100 at-bats this season. Over 100. I'm going to take that. I'll... Mm. It's a six-month season. I know, but I wonder if there isn't some sort of movement in the situation Mm -hmm. at some point in the season. Yeah, he... If he does not wind up on the IL, he's got to get more than 17 at-bats a month, right? Yeah. I mean, that's how many a week? That's like five at-bats a week, four or five at-bats a week. He's going to get more than that. I think so, too. Man. From the 314, take it or leave it, John Nagowski continues to make the most of his opportunities, continuing to put the pressure on Schilt to play him more. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that for a while. I think the momentum will be there. Yeah, I I hope so. I hope it's real. I hope he is Luke Voigt. But it takes a while for me to be convinced the guys are real. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Or not real. Or absolutely. Um, I thought that Tommy Edmond might be the biggest surprise of the season. I hope Nagowski is. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I think it would be so fun. From the 636, take it or leave it, John Nagowski is the next Jeremy Hazelbaker. I could see more of a Hazelbaker vibe with Nagoski than Luke Voigt. So I'll take it. That would be great. Yeah, if he gives us a couple months. Yeah. And we can come up with a fun nickname for him. They, they call him No-Go on the other shows. Yeah. I hear Nogfather a lot. Too. Yeah, Nogfather. Nogfather is good. I like yeah. that one. So, yeah, Nogfather is fine. This is, is that as good as Breaker? No, it's definitely not. It's not as smooth. No. From the 502, take it or leave it, Carlson, DeYoung, or O'Neal will lead the team in home runs this year. Carlson, DeYoung, or O'Neal. I'm going to leave that. I'm I am go- too. I'm going with the big fundy. Good call. Yeah, it's going to be Arenado or Goldie, one of those two. I think I might be inclined to agree with you. I might go with Goldie too. From the 314, take it or leave it, the Blues won't make the playoffs. Ooh, leave it. scary. I'm going to take it. it. You're taking it, Randy. So you are driving the panic bus. I am. Yep. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. Yeah, I am. Wow. Are you going to join me? That's the question. We want your mic drops. Are you joining me on the panic bus? Are you going to be like Michelle and just stand by while Rome burns? (laughs) (laughs) That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Ryan O'Reilly when you poke that one away in the defensive zone. Steele to the corner. Silverberg into the middle. Far side it goes and unable to get a hold of it was Manson. And Anaheim appears to be one of those teams that likes to chuck it back and reset every time. Manson brings it in. Around Shin to the front of the goal. Score. The Blues never touch the puck in overtime. And they lose to the Ducks 3-2. Anaheim sends the Blues to a four-game losing streak. 3.18 to go in overtime. Anaheim gets the goal. Four in a row. 
for the Blues. It's 8.05. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And, hey, we kind of just assume that the Blues are going to make the playoffs yeah. these days. They won the Stanley Cup a couple of years ago. They have a lot of good players. Even though they've had injuries, they've been in the hunt. Well, now Minnesota is ahead of the Blues by five points for third in the division. And the Blues have played 35 games. So have Arizona. And the Blues only have a one-point lead, Michelle, over the Coyotes. And the Blues are in grave danger. Is there any other kind of (laughs) missing the playoffs? And I am on the panic bus here. I've purchased my ticket. My bags are packed. I'm waiting in line. I'm not all aboard yet, but I'm considering it. And I think the reason that I'm considering it so much, Randy, is because I have run out out of if this happens, then we'll see the consistency from the Blues. If X happens, they'll be unlocked because before it was chemistry within the team. Then it was injuries. Then it was effort. It seems like the effort is there. The guys are back from industry injuries. We should have most of them, I should say. And we should definitely have chemistry by this point in the season. Agreed. <laughs> and so I have run run out of if we just wait for this shoe to drop then it will happen excuses text 65780 from the 636 not only am i taking practice laps in the panic bus we're replacing several seats with barca loungers this could be a while (laughs) yeah get comfortable what randy from the 314 if randy's driving the panic bus then i'm the tour guide over the loudspeaker telling everyone to look to their left that's from steve yeah just don't look ahead yeah, wow. Yeah, because you know what's ahead? Yeah, it's that cliff? A, a really, really, really big avalanche. <laughs> yeah. As they say, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Unfortunately, it's a train coming. So the question is, how can the Blues fix this? Well, the Blues need to score goals. Last 11 games, Blues have scored 18 goals. In two of the, those games, they've scored nine of those goals. So in the other nine games the Blues have played in their last 11, they've scored a total of nine goals. Average one per game. Obviously, you can't win that way. You can't put this on David per- or on Jordan Bennington. Uh, you, you, you need your best players to be your best players. You need your best players to set the tone by going to the net, by getting some deflections, by taking away the goalie's eyes. And that's what the Blues aren't doing. It's not like they aren't getting shots on goal because they're getting a ton of shots on goals. So many. And they're doing everything that they can or need to do to win the game except for that. They're playing reasonably well defensively. They're keeping the goals against down. It's And, and they're getting pucks to the goalie, but it's too easy for the goalie to see. So what the Blues need to do, and it's a shame, Michelle, you and I both agreed and I think we still agree that the Pat Maroon thing was the the ending was perfect, mm-hmm. right? But what the Blues need is somebody like Pat Maroon going to the front of the net. They need the big rig in there. Yeah. That big body in front of the net. Right. And if he's not there, then it's got to be other guys that have a little, well, doesn't even need to be a big guy. For a long time, the best net front presence guy in the whole league was Joe Pavelski. He was like 5'8 and... 180 pounds. So it's not like Jaden Schwartz could not do that. It's not like the Blues don't have the guys that can do that. Zach Sanford, that that should be Zach Sanford's game, is going to the front of the net. And obviously, he's been cold of late. There's really the even a guy like Kyra, there's if you want to sacrifice yourself, if you want to do what's best for your team, 
then you go to the front of the net. Sammy Blake should be a guy that goes to the front of the net. Bozak, and I know he's dealt with concussion, so it's more iffy for him, but he's a 200-pound guy. Kyle Clifford is a 210-pound guy. De La Rose. And it's not like these guys can't do it just because they're fourth-line players. The Blues, Kairou's listed at 195 now, six foot 195. He should be going to the front of the net. O'Reilly, 216 pounds. David Braun, 200 pounds, and he does a really good job of it. Uh, Zach Sanford, 6'4", 207. The Blues have plenty of big guys to go to the front of the net. Guys just have to do it. Do we need a song, Randy? Do we need two guys to get in a fight during practice? Do we, what, what do we need for, for an outside spark? I don't think it's a fight in practice necessarily. A song would help. Maybe these four days of practice will help. But as far as I'm concerned, being the novice that I am, this is all about attitude. This is all about somebody saying... And it's not Craig Berube. He's got the guy's ear. Clearly, they're playing hard. But it's one of the players saying, guys, there's no excuse for any of us to not be getting to the front of the net. We aren't a team that's going to score from the perimeter. We aren't a team that's going to score from playing the long game. We have one guy, one guy that can score from long range. And that's number 91. Mm-hmm. The rest of us, we need to... We need to be a group that's gritty and tough and makes it miserable for the other team and especially the other goalie. So let's go make it miserable for whoever. Philip Grubauer on Friday night. Let's go make his life miserable by getting into his crease, blocking his vision. vision. Maybe his skates meet our skates. But let's just make life miserable for the opposition. That's how we won a Stanley Cup. That's what they have to do. Wave after wave. Yeah. And one other point. And it's not an excuse. This is just a reality. Uh, I mentioned a lot of times how important Jaden Schwartz is to this team in terms yeah. of the one loss. Oscar Sundquist is no different. The Oscar, engine. Yep. <laughs> he, he plays. When he plays, their winning percentage is uh, like 660, something like that. When he doesn't play, it's about 437. So he's been, a, this is since the beginning of 2019. He has been a difference maker but the Blues are going to have to overcome that because they aren't getting him back from the 636 hey Randy maybe they need to change their numbers well they were all number five for a while <laughs> the other night didn't seem to work now that's not a bad thing maybe Ruby just needs to pick lines out of a hat just put all 12 forwards in a hat and don't worry about position just okay first three I pick are going to be aligned together second three <laughs> I pick are going to be aligned together third three fourth three and I, I'm not putting number 68 in there that would be a heck of a pregame show. Yeah. <laughs> to great. see what numbers got drawn out of the hat. Yeah. So I'm on the panic bus. Michelle is thinking about joining me on the panic bus, and we appreciate your text. Says some of us, uh, some of us are headed there. Uh, yeah. Change, change the numbers. What is going on with Mike Hoffman? The reason that Mike Hoffman didn't get signed is because he's kind of a, a, a one-trick pony. He really does not fit what the Blues are. They needed a goal scorer, so they went out and got him. But he's kind of a power play sniper specialist, but he's not a five-on-five guy generally. He's not a big guy. He's not great defensively. And yesterday, Craig Bruby said, I need more out of the guy. And he does. He needs more out of the guy. But it's not like over the course of his career that Hoffman has provided that. He's played on bad teams. He's been a good player on bad teams, and I kind of think that's what he is. He's a good player on bad teams. He's just, he's he's not a guy that you have as part of a, he's not, 
he's not a Stanley Cup champion player because he's a top six player. You can't have him as a top six player if you're going to be a good team, and he's not a bottom six player. So he's just, he's a guy. It's nice to have him around. He scored a bunch of goals for Ottawa and Florida. He's, He's just a guy. There's a reason that he was around until the start of training camp, right? Everybody in the league knows. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that is your fresh take here on 101 ESPN. Next up, the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, joins us on Character and Smallman. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Smallman on 101 ESPN and every Monday the voice of the blues Chris Kerber joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Michelle one of the great things about radio is that you learn about people and people kind of take you behind the curtain of their lives and and what they are and who they are and one thing I learned over this weekend that I was not aware of is that Chris Kerber and Tequila do not have a very good relationship. (laughs) Kerbs good morning how you doing? Um, I'm good. I, I enjoy a spectacular margarita. We're fine there. It's just one-on-one, we fight. <laughs> give, give, us, uh, give us the genesis of this. How did this disagreement begin? <laughs> Listen, I went out, uh, went out with a good buddy of mine, Paul Rohde, to, uh, to visit my brother in California. My brother, Kevin, played Division One water polo for UC Irvine, right? And, uh, uh, and so... Uh, we go out there, and uh, let's just say that uh, I, I was not a friend of the world at the time, really. But you know, just kind of going through a battle, and we go to a bar in Irvine called Sharkies, and uh, they they serve up just these buckets of Long Island iced teas, basically with about thirty straws. It, it wasn't COVID <laughs> safe, I'll tell you that. So uh, Kevin says, uh, you know, and he's he's about Kevin's eleven months younger than I am. So my younger brother says, I'm going to mess him up. So. Um, we're, we're at the bar and he orders me what he called a suicide, which is where they take the bar mat, you know, everything they pour the drinks over and just dump that into a glass. So oh. you don't know, you don't know if you're getting what kind of drink or whatever, and, or is it all juice or, or whatever. And all I, I do remember telling Kevin, I said, just don't put tequila, which was the dump. That's the wet paint. Don't touch moment. Right. <laughs> and uh, so that must've said, Hey, and so he looked at his buddy, the bartender and he said, and so they put it in there and then you just, you top the, the shot glass off with whatever. Well, they topped it off with tequila. Well, okay. I did the shot turned around booted. And uh, that was the last time tequila and I really were on speaking terms. <laughs> <laughs> I, you're brave, now, got, to listen, drink that. You're brave. I've got a neighbor. Now, in all fairness, okay, because you, you guys know I've, I've really enjoyed over the last, uh, oh, I don't know, seven, eight years or so, kind of learning more about bourbons, whiskeys, and things, mm-hmm. and getting into that world and studying it and, and figuring some things out. So um, the I said, okay, well, i got to give tequila. Like, maybe we should talk. Like, I will never give a beat another chance. Beats, the beats, they're out. Those, those okay, that's... <laughs> I don't know if that's a vegetable, a fruit, or something, but it's it should be it's it's just not part of the diet, you know. So I got I got you know uh, Roman Duenas, who is a sports producer over at Channel Two, lives up the street, and uh, uh, he's trying to kind of wean me back into the tequila world. So and 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 they're all everybody keeps telling me the same thing. Oh, you just got to try good tequilas. Okay, so we went ahead and tried that. Man, the smell gets you. It's what grabs you at the beginning. Have you chilled like it, Curbs? Uh, yeah, we've done that. Now he actually had, 
couple weeks ago, we tried one, and it was kind of a uh, a spicy one. Mm. And that one actually, like, that one actually was pretty decent. But, no, for the most part, uh, we've got a strained relationship. <laughs> well, Curbs, another yeah. strained relationship, just like you and Tequila, the Blues and Mike Hoffman. He's a healthy scratch yesterday. What's going on there? Well, I mean, guys, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think you look too much into this other than the, the team as a whole is not playing really well. Uh, and Craig Berube is all about accountability. And it doesn't matter whether you're a top-end player, a fourth-line player, a guy that they just pulled off the taxi squad. If, they, if, he doesn't, if he's not happy with the way you're playing, he's going to give you as a veteran player the respect to, to right the ship. And I, I guarantee you this, this did not just come out of the blue. This just didn't happen, and Mike Hoffman went in and said, whoa, wait, what? I mean, at, at some point, I'm pretty sure they saw the train coming down the tracks where there were conversations either on the ice at a morning skate. Um, there was video sessions, things like that, especially to a veteran player. I mean, th- this, this is a coaching staff that shows that kind of respect. And so, um, but in the end, it also sends a message to everybody else, you know, who's in line for the next one too, by the way. So, like, um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't overlook too much into it other than, the team wasn't playing well. He had one goal in his last six games. It wasn't quite ten games, but it gives you an idea what it felt like, apparently, to the head coach. And uh, and, and and you just you go from there. And it's never easy for a veteran player uh, to to be a healthy scratch like that. But I mean, it, it, if you want to talk about sending your entire team a message, if he's going to sit a veteran player, he'll sit anybody, and he needs more people to really start stepping up and bringing it for this hockey team. Curbs. Uh- I've been saying all morning in terms of bringing it, they just, they need their guys to go to the net. It's not like they aren't getting shots, but they aren't taking away goalies eyes. They aren't jostling goalies at all. There's not a lot of activity in the crease. And that's how you get to an 11 game streak where you have 18 goals and five, you had a five goal game and a four game goal. Otherwise in your last 11, nine of those games with nine regulation goals. Yeah. You know, it's, that, that that's an issue, Randy, without a doubt, is is how you are – you're not getting to the front of the net. Now, look, I thought last night they did. I mean, there were some real good chances, and they, they, it just squirted through a little bit and, and, and things. So, like, I, I thought last night they did a pretty solid job of getting to the front of the net, um, and, and it's a progress. I actually think these last three games they've played some pretty good hockey, and you, you're seeing something build. And, I, and I, look, I know if you're a fan, you're listening, saying, okay, you know, quit, quit with the Kool Aid, or somebody slips some tequila in your Cheerios, there, Curbs. <laughs> but they, um, uh, no, I mean, I, I really think that you're, you're seeing a team game starting to come back a little bit here, um, and and that I think is a positive. Now, the error, the, the the issue to me is they have to be playing less of a. I, I guess they have to be making fewer mistakes, so they've got to be able to make up for each other's mistakes better. Because when you aren't scoring, you are going to have to find a way to win some games 2-1. to one. And as Craig said yesterday, yeah, it's hard to do, but you can do it. Teams have done it. The New Jersey Devils put a whole era together that forward the heck out of their fans by winning cups, doing it that way, right? But, but nonetheless, you're going to have to find a way to do it. And, um, you, you know, Tory Krug's had a tough run here mm-hmm. with, with some of the turnovers lately. Like, he's, he's kind of hitting the last few games what Zach Sanford did against Arizona. You know, where where turnovers and and even if it looks like he's trying to make the right play like he did two nights ago and Gitzloff deflected the puck, and I think you got to give Ryan Gitzloff some credit for being just a smart hockey player, making a good play too. You know, but right now, every time that's happening, they're picking the puck out of his net. And so, 
I, I, it's a combination of a lot of different things right now. Uh, unfortunately, real missed opportunities here. I mean, you're playing the worst team in your division, and you and and you only get one out of four points. So, the flip side of it is you just got to figure this out. You, you're you turn the page. You're tied in games with there. You're no longer worried about the the race with Vegas, Minnesota, and Colorado. You turn the page. Your your race is now with Los Angeles and Arizona. You're tied in games with Arizona. You got a one point lead. Arizona plays Colorado this week while you're idle, and then you go play Colorado twice on the weekend. Uh, this is now a 21 game race between those three teams for a playoff spot. Because I still believe get into the playoffs, and who knows what happens? I mean, goalies can steal series, whatever, but. That, that's where the race is focused right now in my book. Curbs, do you think this mini break that the Blues have could be beneficial for them to get their bodies and their minds right? Yeah, you, you know, I, I fight with something here, uh, Michelle, and, and and I don't mean for this to sound, come across as callous or, or, or not understanding because it, it, you guys know me well enough. I, I, I make sure we try to always keep that human aspect of the game involved, right, because it is humans playing. It's not, you know, cards with stats on the back going head-to-head. Having said that, you know, this to me just comes down to whether or not you're going to want to do it. There's enough veteran players on this hockey team that they know how to do it. And and are, are they just going to come out and out-compete and out-battle and, and, and play smart hockey? And it, there's there's no excuses at this point of, well, you've got the, you know, you've been in a hotel for a long time and the lockdown scenarios in California are different in other places and all these other things that, that are challenges. While those are very real, uh you don't have those in front of you right now. If there's anything I think these next four days are going to do, especially if they're going to get today off and maybe tomorrow, I do think that just being at home, I really do think that just being able to go you know, into your own house, whether you have kids or not, and just be a part of that for a couple of days is probably going to be some chicken soup for the soul for this group because of the amount of time they've been gone, and then you get back at it. I still, I, I'm, I'm still real bullish about this hockey team and, and, and what they can do. I'm excited to see them play against some of these top teams. They, they, they played with Vegas. You know, the, the third period is what got away with them. They played right there with Minnesota, and, I, and they're better than Minnesota. Even with the injuries, they are a better hockey team than Minnesota mm-hmm. is. You know, um, it's just unfortunate. Three games in a row, you played the kind of game that's made the other team's goalie the number one star, and your goaltender hasn't has been a, a top star once, I think, since uh, the fourth game of the season. So th- those are they got to work that through. So hopefully some hopefully just some family time, but uh, th- th- I still think this team's going to be okay. Curbs, because you're with us on Monday, we didn't get a chance to talk to you about the passing of Bobby Plager, and the the one overriding theme that I have talked about is that our world is a less fun place that we never had a time. And you and I spent tons and tons of time with Bobby when we were doing those shows at 14th and Clark, but I never had a time around Bobby Plager where I didn't have fun. Uh, I didn't either. You know, even uh, I, I'd get texts from him on such a regular basis and, and, and it was such a, a treat throughout this, uh, the pandemic time and things where sometimes it's a meme, sometimes it's a joke. And when we get together, Randy, I'll just scroll through that text chain and, and Michelle, so you can see those because uh, they're, they're not safe for work sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, and then the, then the other one you get is, you know, Vince Dunn had a tough play a few games back and, and I, I get a 29 with some, you know, emojis that are, 
either the angry face or the sad face. And, and I started laughing because he's sitting there going, Bobby Plager is sending you emojis. Like, <laughs> right, right. Put this into perspective, right? So, uh, yeah, listen, it's been a hard few days. and um, But I think I think, I think think the team really did a great job by uh, with what they did at these last two games. Uh, you know, I, I know the, the funeral plans are being worked up right now. And, and, and it, it, it's sad. I, I guess, Randy, I, I got to the point, and I get, get to this point real quick in these situations, but um, I, I try to mourn their loss less and celebrate their life more. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I look at it through those kinds of lenses, to me, it's just our, it, it, it's up to us to carry on what he brought. And, and that's, that's just how well he treated people. That smile. So, yeah, it's a Monday. So you know, the goal today is: can we can we make somebody smile? Can we make somebody laugh? And and if we did that, then we've honored Bobby's legacy really, really well. And then we try to do it again tomorrow. And that's that that that'll be the approach. I, I'm going to dearly miss the guy. I've cried. I, I don't even know how many times. And even even last night, I'm just still scrolling through and looking at the videos that the team had put out. And you know, on Channel Five and Channel Four and Channel Two, all did just amazing uh, tributes to him. It, it was really something special and, and just awesome to sit and watch. Very well said, Curbs. Always good to talk to you. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you soon. Have an awesome weekend. If it's okay with you guys on Seco de Mayo, I'm just gonna just uh, use a different substance. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds fair. <laughs> right. good, good idea. See you, Curbs. Right. Take care. That's the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber on 101 ESPN. He's not gonna given up on the Blues or tequila. I appreciate that out of him. He's a gamer. I don't know. He's try something else. I, I think he's going a different direction here. But he said he was still trying. Yeah. How about that? That mat, like the the bar mat that they just you could not pay me enough to drink that. No, me either. That's and then top it with tequila. No, yikes! uh, I'm surprised anybody does that. That's how COVID starts. (laughs) Doesn't seem very sanitary. That's correct. No, that's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This Monday, it is 8.39. That time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it's time for the fight. Mike is Randy's challenger for a little sports trivia competition this morning. What's up, Mike? How was your weekend? Uh, It went great. How was yours? It was great. Son, can't complain. I wish the Blues would have come home with a W or two. But other than that, pretty good. All right, Mike, you ready for the fight? Yes, I am. All right. Question number one. Cardinals opening day is this Thursday against the Cincinnati Reds. Who currently has the most opening day starts for the Cardinals at any position all time? Is it Yadier Molina, Lou Brock, or Ozzie Smith? Uh, Let's go with uh, Ozzie Smith. Today is National Baseball Hall of Famer Cy Young's birthday. Who was the last Cardinal to win the Cy Young Award? Was it Bob Gibson, 
Adam Wainwright or Chris Carpenter? Uh, Chris Carpenter. Mike, who is the Cardinals' all-time winningest manager? Whitey Herzog, Tony La Russa, or Red Chandiest? Uh, Let's go with Tony La Russa. And when the Blues acquired Brett Hull from the Calgary Flames in 1988, they also received which player? Craig Cox, Scott Harlow, or Steve Bozek? Wow. Uh, Let's go with B. Scott Harlow? Yeah, just a guess. All right, you got it. All right, let's check our score here. Randy's on his way in. When in doubt, throw out a letter. I'm not mad at you for doing that, Mike. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right, Randy is getting settled here. Randy, as you put your headphones on, please say good morning to Mike. Mike, it is great to have you with us. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for playing. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. Thank you, Randy. Our uh, our boss, our big boss, Tommy Mattern, back from vacation. Is he so, t- is he tanned and refreshed? Tanned and refreshed, yeah. And then he got told that he has to go into a bunch of corporate meetings, so oh. the, re- the refreshment's going to end in a hurry. What a brutal, rude awakening. Yeah. I can't wait to be tanned and refreshed. <laughs> Those were the days. Those were the days. Randy, Cardinals opening day is Thursday against the Cincinnati Reds. Who currently has the most opening day starts for the Cardinals at any position all time? Well... Seeing as Stan the Man played 24 years, and I'm guessing that he started the majority of those opening days, I will play the odds here and go with Stan the Man. Today is National Baseball Hall of Famer Cy Young's birthday. Oh, he's probably pretty old. <laughs> yeah. Who was the last Cardinal to win the Cy Young Award? Last Cardinal to win the Cy Young Award, was it 2004? Five, Chris Carpenter. I don't think a Cardinal has won since then. Finished second in 2009. So I will go with Chris Carpenter in 2005. Randy, who is the Cardinals' all-time winningest manager? It would be uh, one uh, Anthony Larusa. And when the when the Blues acquired Brett Hull from the Calgary Flames in 1988. They also received which player? Steve Bozak. Emily, ring the bell. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. You know Randy feels good when he's waving his pageant wave to people outside the studio. I, I was waved at first. At the bell, uh, the bell's being rung. You're just <laughs> greeting your people sitting on your throne. We know how it is. Mike, good effort. Randy beat you just barely though, three to two, three to two. So you both got okay. the first question wrong. Actually, it's Yadier Molina. He has the most opening day starts for the Cardinals at any position all time with sixteen. Wow. Dang. I know, right? Oh, he, he, okay. I get it now. I was thinking most opening day starts just total, but Stan probably started left field, right field, first base. So, okay, that makes sense. The last Cardinal to win the Cy Young Award was, in fact, Chris Carpenter, Baseball Jesus, back in 2005. The Cardinals' all-time winningest manager is Tony La Russa. Never heard him called Anthony. Do you think anyone in his life calls him Anthony? No. 
Yeah, that was disconcerting so. to hear him called Anthony. Uh, he has 1,408 wins as the Cardinals manager. <laughs> and when the Blues acquired Brett Hall from the Calgary Flames in 1988, they also acquired Steve Bozak. Mike, thanks so much for listening and playing. Have a great week. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Great to have you with us here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Cardinals have finalized their opening day roster. They will submit it on Thursday before they play their opener against the Reds. But who surprised us and who maybe should have made it that didn't? That's coming your way with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Marley Rivera has a new piece with Nolan Arenado up at ESPN.com. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But, Michelle, the Cardinals finalized their roster yesterday. I think if somebody would have said at the beginning of spring training this would be the roster, we would have been we would have raised our eyebrows. But based on what happened in the last week, no surprise. Yachty and Andrew Kisner are the catchers. No surprise there. Mm-hmm. Your infield's going to be DeYoung, Arenado, Edmund Goldschmidt. At the beginning of spring training, if somebody would have said you're going to have Carpenter and Edmundo Sosa going north. I don't think anybody would have been surprised by that. Even though they didn't perform the best in spring training, I think if you look at the beginning of spring training and uh, the way the Cardinals are with the contracts, I don't think anybody should be surprised by that. Your outfield is going to include Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, and Justin Williams, along with, and this is the biggest surprise from the beginning of spring training, John Nagoski and Austin Dean, even with Harrison Bader on the DL. Uh, the fact that three guys, Justin Williams, John Nagoski, Austin Dean all made it, and that Lane Thomas did not, mm-hmm. it's probably the biggest surprise if you're going to look at the beginning of camp to now. Absolutely. I think when camp first started, if you would have said John Nagowski is going to be the biggest and most pleasant surprise coming out of camp, everybody would have scratched their heads, but he really has been. And I'm thrilled that he got this opportunity. And I hope that that momentum that he's had in spring carries over to the regular season. Randy, we were talking about how he needs a really good nickname. There's been some out there, the Nog father, no go. What about this one from the 618 though? The big Nagowski. Like the big Lebowski, but the it. big Nagowski. Yeah, I, I think that's it. That one's pretty good. Yeah. Good thought. Yeah, the big Nagowski. Okay, let's go with that one because he's big too. It fits. Yeah, it does. All right, you're starting rotation, and obviously you have Michaelis and KK on the shelf. So you've got Flaherty, Wainwright, Martinez, Ponce de Leon, and Gant. And as it turns out, Alex Reyes had, never had a chance to be in the rotation. And then the bullpen is pretty much as expected you didn't know what was going to happen with that last spot. But I think at the beginning of camp, we figured that Miller, Gallegos, Hicks, Reyes, Helsley, Webb, and Cabrera would be there. And with the fact that Gant and Ponce de Leon had to join the starting rotation, you have the injuries. It was going to be between Cody Whitley and Jake Woodford. And Woody, Jake Woodford, is the guy that makes it. Mm -hmm. And Cody Whitley... Uh, last year was very good for the Cardinals in uh, or during spring training. Uh, this year he didn't allow a run, struck out 10, uh, allowed five hits and a 1.09 whip in seven and a third innings. And Jose Rondon, more of a veteran player, but the Cardinals wanted to go with the rostered player, Edmundo Soso, over the non-roster guy, and the player in Soso, who only hit 130 in spring training, they know better, they've had longer, and they've invested in. 
Yeah, Rendon had a better spring, so that one was a little surprising. But I would imagine if you see Sosa struggle at all, that that might be a swap. Yeah, and by the time we get to the second week of the season, KK is probably going to be back, and Woodford will probably go back and start at Memphis. So there's your Cardinal roster for Thursday. Meanwhile, as we mentioned at the top, Marley Rivera has a new piece about Arenado at ESPN.com. And Arenado will be a focus of the baseball world, especially early on as he starts his Cardinal career. Absolutely. And this article illustrates a lot of things that Nolan Arenado has already said about leaving Colorado and coming to St. Louis. But there's two quotes, Randy, that kind of popped out to me. So when asked about this transition, he says, quote, I've moved on. That might hurt some people's feelings over there, but I have. They'll always have a special place in my heart, the fans, the people. Regardless of the people that don't like me there or I don't like them, I appreciate every single one of them. I appreciate the love. I appreciate the hate. I know that I can look back at my years in Colorado and know that I gave everything I had. I have no regrets. Now I'm here in St. Louis and I'm going to give them everything I have too. That's unquestioned that he gave everything he had to Colorado. The question would be, did the Rockies give everything they had to him? He made a commitment. They made a mutual commitment to each other. His commitment was to sign the long-term contract. And one of the reasons that he took the opt-outs was he didn't have a hundred percent faith in them building a team around him. And it became clear early on in his first year, right after he signed the contract that their faith, the faith that he placed in them was kind of misplaced. It wasn't real. And I don't blame him for going into that deal again with the opt-outs and expecting that they were going to build a winning team. Because one thing that has become clear is that the most important thing to him is winning. Yes. I also thought it was interesting how he said there's people there that he doesn't like and that he appreciates the hate because, you know, mostly to this point, everything we've heard out of him was so complimentary of Colorado and um, thanking the fans, which he obviously did there too. But I think it's interesting that he acknowledges that there's some bad feelings, whether it was internally or within the fan base that he knows exists. I I would think Jeff Breidich, their general manager, is probably the focus of Arenado thinking that that guy hates him. And that can fuel people. Remember when... uh, who was it? I think it was Colin Kaepernick originally that used negative Twitter comments mm-hmm. as motivation. He he would like them. Sometimes negativity does fuel people, and maybe that'll work for Nolan in, in this case, too. And one other thing that we've certainly observed from him from the second that he had his introductory press conference, it seems, is how he has embraced his new team. From the first time we really heard him talk from Jupiter, he was saying we and us. And mm-hmm. It was not the Cardinals. It was I am included in the fold here. And we knew that he would be a great Cardinal. And it seems like he's really embraced the Cardinal way. Here's a quote from the piece from Marley Rivera. He said, I'm going to miss some of my boys in Colorado, the people that I care about over there. I've known them since since I was a 17-year-old or when I was called up at 22. But the sweet moment was coming here to a great organization with great history and with great players, players that I've admired for a long time. It's a different vibe. The meetings, the attention to detail. They talk about things that I've never heard before as far as rules, plays, how we need to approach the plays, how we need to touch a base to go to the next base. If there's a first and third situation, how I need to go, where to be. We went over the stuff in Colorado, but the way they explain it or the way they want you to do it, It's different. I love it. That is Mike Schilt being a disciple of George Kissel. That's that's what that comes down to. And what he's talking about there 
is the real Cardinal Way. If you have any question about what the Cardinal Way is, read this piece. And Nolan Arenado, without ever saying the Cardinal Way, explains it perfectly. And everything we've heard about him is that he is just such a baseball junkie. Yeah. And so for him to come here and to be able to be exposed to these type of discussions and, and this avenue of learning that he's never really had before or hasn't really had in a long time, that has to be invigorating for him. Yeah. We're going to find out what John Boy, who is the social media baseball guru, what he thinks of Arenado and what he thinks of the Astros. And I want to ask him also about the fact that pitchers now are apparently going to have a rule enforced against them in terms of using uh, illegal substances. Jimmy O'Brien, John Boy on your Twitter is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's 9.02 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I've been told like 500 times this morning that John Boy was going to be at 9.15 rather than 9 o'clock, and I paid zero attention to uh, (laughs) Emily, our great producer, telling me that. So John Boy is actually at 9.15. But we promised that we would get back to talking about the Cardinal hitting instructor, Jeff Albert, who we talked about earlier in the show on our eight burning questions. And we have gotten... A lot of response, Michelle, about Jeff Albert and the way that people are feeling about the Cardinal hitting coach. We did. Our our burning question is, will 2021 be the season that the Jeff Albert approach works? And as you can imagine, the Cardinals offense has certainly been a point of conversation and a point of contention among Cardinals fans for the past few seasons. So a lot of people wanted to weigh in, Randy, with their opinions like this one from the 314. I don't think there's anything wrong with the Cardinals OPS approach. The Cardinals offensive talent evaluation approach, however... Well, there's no doubt that they misevaluated Luke Voigt. They may have misevaluated Randy Rosarena. Clearly, if you look at last season, postseason, you'd have to say, yes, that's the case. But it's not like they've had uh, a stellar, transcendent guy like Albert Pools that's come through either. True. So from an organizational standpoint, that's an issue. Yeah. And both things could exist at the same time. They could have misevaluated certain talents and the production offensively is also lackluster. Yeah. But when you talk about the little things and I, I agree, there's nothing wrong with rating guys on OPS, but the, pro, the, the fact of the matter is their OPS has not been good. Correct. From the 618, they put all of their eggs in the Jeff Albert basket after getting rid of Buddha. Albert needs to... I can't say this word on the radio or get off the pot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got to happen for him at some point. Now, the Cardinals did give him an extension after last season. Mm-hmm. So it appears that this process is one that they are pleased with. They're convinced it's going to work. They said that it's a long-term play, but it might be at the expense, you don't know, of the end of people like Yachty and Wayno and Goldschmidt's careers because those are our three key players. And you might be saying, okay, well, we're, we're going to be great offensively in 2023. Well, what good does that do, guys, that are going to be retired in 2023? And um, Derek Gould, we mentioned this earlier in the show, as always, impeccable Cardinals coverage over at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, stltoday.com. And he recently put out an article about this where he spoke to Jeff Albert himself, which is pretty rare. I mean, we talk mm-hmm. a lot about the Jeff Albert approach and the Cardinals offensive production. And we're not hearing from Jeff Albert all the time. So I encourage everyone to read this, but... Derek Gould spoke to Jeff Albert, and he said that 
in his mind, a success, successful offense can be summarized with three pillars, swinging at strikes, hitting line drives, and hitting the ball hard. And as we said earlier in the show, all of that sounds great. When you drill into these advanced metrics, into these analytics, you can really find any sort of story that you want to tell yourself. But at the end of the day, if we aren't getting any runs and if the Cardinals continue to rank near the bottom, if not at the bottom and most offensive categories, I kind of don't care what other analytics you're looking at or what your pillars are. What are the three pillars again? Swinging at strikes, swinging at strikes, hitting line drives and hitting the ball hard. Michelle, I've been watching baseball for a long time and I think those kind of have been the pillars of hitting like since the 70s. It's not really groundbreaking. <laughs> no, it's really not. So my question would be then, if those are your three pillars, why are you worried about telling a guy about launch angle? Why are you worried about telling a guy about barreling up? Why not just say, hey, when you get to the plate, see the ball, hit the ball, see it, see a strike and swing at it and hit it. If you do, if you swing at a strike, hit it hard, and then what was the other one? My bad. Swinging at strikes, hitting, hitting line, drives, line drives, and hitting okay. the ball hard. Yeah, you're going to do that. And by the way, it's hard to hit line drives when you're trying to hit that launch angle thing. So maybe their approach is different than what we think it is. But it seems pretty simplistic. And with that being the thought, at least that I have, you wonder why players would say, well, this is a more complicated approach. Why there is right. thought process involved. If if those are your three pillars, it seems pretty simple to me. Yeah, it doesn't seem like you need packets of information no. to decipher that those pillars of that approach. So it's interesting. From the 573, the Cardinals need to just hire Jim Edmonds as the hitting coach already. Hey, he, he's... He knows hitting. I think he'd be willing to help. So, yeah, I I, I would think that that would be interesting. I, I don't know if the Cardinals front office, if the brass goes to grocery stores and sees Us magazine or anything like that. But that I, I think when you're talking about your brand, I, I would think that Jimmy's off field things that he's involved with sometimes the fact that he's a star beyond baseball yeah. might be something that uh, they look at as a little bit off brand which i can understand yeah but he's still a part of the cardinals family and he's still doing broadcasts and he's it's not as if those things have precluded him from no. already having a role within the club right. so i would think if he is actually tactically helping guys and you're seeing the things that he's teaching them show dividends that that would be something that I would care about a little bit more than a headline in us. Oh yeah. I'm just wondering if with the other stuff going on, is he a guy that's going to be there for eight months out of the year, 162 games? Does he even want to do that? And if you're the Cardinals, are, are you concerned about the reality TV stuff in addition to the, the greatness that he would bring, obviously, he's going to help guys. He, he's a brilliant baseball mind, a baseball savant. My, my question would be, is he going to be there every day for you? It's a big-time commitment, a big-time grind. Yeah. Yeah, great question. From the 217, as long as Jeff Albert is there, the Cardinals will not win a World Series. Their hitting struggle started when the hitters started getting presented with too much information. Step up to the plate, see ball, hit ball. That would be the approach that I would take. I don't know nearly as much as Jeff Albert or the Cardinals do. 
I don't know if you can say that they won't win a World Series with him. A lot of a lot of things have happened over the years, but I would think that in their heart of hearts, if you went to Cardinal players, a lot of them would say, yes, we would prefer to have the approach of see the ball, hit the ball. And if we're going to get information, have it be about a part of our swing, uh, something that we can do mechanically to improve ourselves. I wonder if those are conversations that anyone who is a decision maker within the Cardinals is having with players. I wonder if they, they've clearly committed to Jeff Albert and they're clearly mm-hmm. committed to this approach, um, hence the extension. But I wonder what type of evaluation they're doing internally about this approach because clearly you're entering season three and you have not had the results that you've desired so i i hope that someone is empowering players to talk truthfully off the record about things that may be working or things that may not be working and michelle as anybody who's ever watched the sport knows there is no template and that's that seems to me to be the the biggest issue is that and i don't know this to be fact but it seems like they want all the hitters to do the same thing you you don't have mark mcguire and ozzy smith trying to do the same thing offensively and taking away the simplicity which is what mark badaska brought to the table players said i was able to get out of my own mind and just go up there and not think and for a lot of hitters that's the exact that that's the thing that they need I think it's probably a little bit unreasonable to think that Harrison Bader and Paul Goldschmidt should be taught to hit the same way. Mm-hmm. They're completely different body types. They're, they have different skill sets. And I think what you need to do, and I, I would hope that Jeff Albert and Mike Schilt are doing this, is to get the most out of each individual's ability in different ways rather than trying to get everybody to do the same thing. Paul Goldschmidt can hit home runs. I I don't know that uh, a guy like Harrison Bader should be as concerned about launch angle. He should should adhere to these three pillars that we're talking about. That should be all Harrison Bader worries about. Right. And I, I know that the Cardinals wanted one consistent thread of messaging from an offensive standpoint throughout the organization. And if I'm John Mosellock or, or Michael Gersh, and I know that this is the season, this is finally the season where I'm really going to evaluate this outfield and I'm really going to have a sample size and no more excuses about what we're going to do with these guys. I would be hoping that they would be putting in a position to succeed in the best way possible. And if any of them, and I, and I don't know this to be true. This is just a thought process here. If any of them are not having success because of the offensive approach, I would hope that adjustments would be made so that you could get a true look at who these players are because There have been players that during this time period have left the Cardinals and had more Mm. offensive production elsewhere. So that would just be something that I would be concerned about if I was sitting in their chair. I guess at the end of the day, we're (laughs) just hoping that from an offensive standpoint, they're logical, right? Just use some common sense that not everybody can do the same thing. There shouldn't be one single way of hitting uh, for the Cardinals. Everybody hits a different way. So... There were hitting coaches that wanted to try to change Stan Musial's stance because it was so weird, right? Don't try to fit a square peg in a round hole. Right. Let let some things happen differently. If if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Next up, officially, John Boy (laughs) from the Internet on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker on 101 ESPN in St. Louis, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, and Jimmy O'Brien joins us. Jimmy O'Brien is on social media as John Boy, J-O-M-B-O-Y. He can be found across social media and at johnboymedia.com. And on Thursday, he's going to be hosting an all-day live stream event in honor of opening day. You can find it on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, everywhere else on John Boy's social media platforms. John Boy, thanks for joining us here. Here on 101 ESPN. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing very well. Thank you guys for having me. Hey, and we talk a lot about getting kids, young people involved in and interested in baseball. And it seems like with what you're doing on social media, you're able to connect with those people, kind of uh, unlike uh, Major League Baseball is able to do. How, how's it happening? Oh, I think, I think, you know, just enthusiasm and being genuine goes a long way. You know, we don't, we don't set out and say, how are we going to hit the target demo? We just talk about the game uh, in a, in the way that we like talking about it and, and share the things we love about it. And I think just for the last decade, MLB kind of talked about their own sport. Like no one likes us. We're dying. And there's a lot of fans that are like, no, we, we love baseball. So I, I don't, it's not, it's not by design. I'm glad it happens that our audience skews younger. Uh, but, you know, I think it's just saying, like, hey, this sport's cool. Want to check out this really cool, intricate sport that has these really insane mental battles going on all the time. So I think, uh, I think enthusiasm just wins people over, and I love baseball. Take me through the process of how you make these videos. How long does it take you to put these together? Do you write a script, and then you sort of follow it as you do the breakdowns, or is this all organic? Oh, that's a great question. So uh, it depends on how long the video is. You know, I, I'm working on one right now. It's a big comeback in college baseball. So it's it's the full 14th inning, which is probably 30 to 40 minutes of uh, of the the whole event, you know, is that long. So I, I take it, I trim it down to find the things that I think tell the story of what happened. And in that process of taking the full event and then cutting it and editing it down to talk about or point out the things I like is kind of – the writing process. So I, I don't write down what I say at all. It, it's all somewhat off the cuff. Some of, some of the things I've thought about as I edited. Um, but, you know, I usually like to do it in one shot. If I have to do it twice, I get pretty upset with myself. So it's, there's a lot of things that I say that I didn't plan on saying, or, or I, I see something in live time while recording the audio that I, I didn't even realize I was going to point out, which I think gives it the authenticity and kind of the uh, excitement. So it doesn't feel scripted or planned. It seems like your Twitter page specifically blew up when you really drilled down into the Astros sign-stealing scandal. First of all, the work that you put into that was incredible. What did you think you were going to be able to find? Did you think you were going to be able to find what you did when you started that process? Well, you know, I I read the article by by, uh, Evan Drellich and Ken Rosenthal in The Athletic, and they got all the quotes. So a lot of the credit goes to them because they had Farquhar, the White Sox reliever, who said, um, I stepped off one time because I heard the banging. And once I, I, I read that part, I said, oh, we can find that because all the games are on YouTube now. And he's a reliever. So how often did he pitch in Houston? So you just go to, go to that footage 
And, you know, even if you couldn't hear the banging, I knew you'd be able to see him step off and ask for the catcher to come out. But when I, when I found the spot that he was talking about, you can hear the banging once you're tuned into it. So I didn't know it was going to be that obvious. That, oh, wow, you can hear this pretty easily. And then from there, uh, I made the one video, and it, and it went crazy. And then I, I went back uh, different games and, and to see if you can hear it other places. And, I mean, you could hear, you could hear that banging clear as day. So I didn't know how, how easy it would be able to, to find the audio. But once I read the article, I knew you could find the moment that they had uh, got Farquhar to talk about. And then, yeah, it was a whirlwind after that. Yeah, the Astros video is certainly one thing we look at as a tent pole in your career. But when did you realize that this is something that you could really make your career, that you could do this full time? Yeah, I had, I had no idea what it was going to become in a way. You know, I was, it was a hobby. Um, I had someone that was in the investing world, in the VC world, give me a, a small amount of money. They gave me 25 grand. He said, if I give you 25 grand, would you quit your job and do this full time? I think it can turn into something. So at that point, I said, yeah, absolutely. What, what's the harm there? If I, I take a year off and I live really cheaply and, and do a passion, uh, worst case scenario, I have uh, I built myself a side project and I go back to working full time, uh, you know, doing what I was doing. And, and they kind of that person kind of laid the vision out for me. So he was always like, this is going to be a company. This is going to be big. All I had to do was work hard and, and, and try to find things that the audience likes. So. Uh, you know, it was really 2019, uh, you know, we knew we had something, but I really didn't know how it was going to turn into what people were telling me it could turn into. And it was really 2019 when I started doing the breakdowns for all of baseball, not just Yankees fans. And, um, then, then the savages in the box, Boone's rant that went <laughs> crazy and that kind of spiked up everything. It spiked up all our podcast listeners. It spiked up our merch store, every revenue stream that been building, got a big spike and, and we never lost those people that came. It kind of plateaued after that. And then the Astros was the next big spike. And then we kind of plateaued after that. So every time we have these big events, uh, we, people find out about us and they say, what else do they have going on? And then there's enough for them to land on to stick around. So that's kind of, the, the fun part of it. John Boy on Twitter, on YouTube, and this year at John Boy Media, you've got the Chris Rose rotation with Archie Bradley, Stephen Brault, Lucas Giolito, Tyler Glasnow, Trevor May, and Miguel Rojas. And it'll be fun to get some of the insights from some of these current Major League players. Oh, we're so excited. Chris Rose is so good at talking to these players. He's been doing it forever. So obviously he's uh one of the best at it, but we, I mean, I, I listen, it's, I listen as a fan, not even as it's a show on my own network, but I was listening today with um, glass. Now had a teammate, Matt Duffy on. We had a, it's been a lot of fun. I, I think it's a great way to get to know personalities. And that's a, a show that we were incredibly excited to, to get Chris to join the team. And he's eager to do as much as possible. He's been amazing. So shows like that are fun. We have um, Ian Happ, uh, Cubs center fielder. He has a show on the network now, and, and Trevor Plouffe has been with us for over a year now, so we're really excited about the content we're putting out. Randy, at the beginning of this, asked you how you're able to connect with a younger audience, and I'm curious about Major League Baseball and what they think of what you've created, because it seems like, especially recently, that that's something that Major League Baseball has been very cognizant of, is how they become more exciting from a content standpoint, how they make the game more interesting. So have you ever had any discussions with anyone in Major League Baseball? Because I would imagine that they would want to capitalize on the excitement that you're bringing to baseball. 
Yeah, we, we've had talks. We're friendly. I mean, I want to be as friendly as possible. I don't want to rub anyone the wrong way, but we're also going to do what we want to do because we've been successful doing it that way. Uh, but we've had we've had chats, ideas that in, in ways we could work together. They've been friendly with us, which is good because, you know, early on in 2016 and any time before that, we, we wouldn't have been allowed to exist. So I think that's a good step forward for MLB right there is they, they understood that they had to loosen the reins a little and let people that love their sport um, promote it. So, you know, there's a lot of people on YouTube, Foolish Baseball, Fuzzy. There's a lot of people doing, doing this, and I think that's the first good step by MLB is they said, you know what, let's allow people to talk about our sport. Because it was a bit crazy that they weren't allowing that for a long time. <laughs> Jimmy O'Brien, also known as John Boy on 101 ESPN. What do you think of the 2021 Cardinals? I'm excited. I, I think it's their division to lose. I was just going over the opening day roster and all that. I love Flaherty. I love Bueno. Uh, I was very, very interested in a second year out of Kim. He just went on the IL, so I, I don't know how long he's going to be out. But that was my most intriguing part because he was so good last year be it in within the, the own, their own division. So I was excited to see him go around and play everywhere else. But, I mean, I think the Arenado trade makes you guys the team to beat. I think the Brewers and you guys will maybe have a fun race and then you'll, you'll pull away. But I, I am interested in the back end of the rotation now. It's, uh, I mean, Carlos Martinez hasn't been a starter in a little bit, and John Gant hasn't been a starter, right? That's right. Gant started a little bit with Atlanta. Uh, they think they're going to have KK back by the second week of the season with the back issues. But yeah, the, the depth that they thought they had at the beginning of spring training, certainly uh, it better turn out to be good. You're also a Yankee fan. And I mentioned we have Greg Amzinger from MLB Network on the show every week. And I'm looking at the American League and I see the Yankees and then I, I see kind of a mediocre league. I don't know if the White Sox are going to be great, but it seems like the Yankees should, should be prohibitive favorites in the American League. Yeah, they it, uh, they can only get in their own way with injuries. You know, if, if everyone's healthy or even 75% is healthy, I, I feel pretty good about it. The Whites, I think it's I think it's the Yankees, White Sox, Twins, and Rays, but I don't believe in the Twins as a playoff team at all. Uh, and um, I still think it, it may go through Astro, uh, um, Houston. They, they've been in the LCS four years in a row now or something like mm-hmm. crazy like that, so... We'll see. But on paper, if the Yankees are healthy, I, I think I, I think even you know Vegas has them as the favorite in the American League by five games. So, yep. fingers crossed. Hey, great stuff, and we love your content. We appreciate you taking some time. Hopefully, we can do this as the season unfolds. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. That's John Boy, and you can see his great work, great content on Twitter, on YouTube, and of course, now you can go to John Boy Media and check out all of the great things going on with shows from Tyler Glasnow, as he mentioned today, Lucas Giolito, Archie Bradley, and more. Next up on 101 ESPN, you're killing me, Smalls, with Carriker and Smallman. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle, I want people to know that I used my Traeger grill to make dinner last night, made some fantastic uh, honey glazed marinated chicken. It was terrific. Ooh, that sounds awesome, Randy. And... You can get a Traeger grill. 
from just signing up uh, with the 101 ESPN app. Give Get the 101 ESPN app, uh, put your information in, and you'll be registered to win maybe 500 bucks in cash or a Traeger grill or a Nolan Arredato jersey. Just, just use our app and listen to us on the app every single day. Think about that. You're probably already streaming us right now. Yep. On maybe your computer at work while you should be working. But if you just download the app, you could potentially be grilling on your Traeger grill while streaming us on the app that you downloaded for free. Pretty awesome. So use it. It's. I, I told somebody, I think I told you last week, I told somebody in a store that was selling them. I said, it's like the favorite thing that I own of everything I own. My Traeger grill is my favorite thing. Well, you make some pretty good stuff on the Traeger Grill, so it should be your favorite thing that you own. Appreciate that. Time for... You're killing me, Smalls. So one thing we haven't talked about today, Randy, is some pretty interesting news coming out of the NFL. We knew that this would happen, but it's likely going to be official in the next day or two that the NFL is going to expand their schedule to 17 games. Owners are scheduled to officially decide on whether to approve this expansion. They're having virtual league meetings tomorrow and Wednesday, and owners were granted the ability to expand to 17 games as part of last year's CBA with the players. The extra game was kind of a sticking point for many players who voted against the deal, but the league's already approved a scheduling formula for this extra game, and it's going to include an extra game against the non-conference opponents opponent each year based on standings from the previous season. A lot of players Randy taking to social media and are not pleased with this development. Yeah, it's a physical game and they think that they're already extended with a 16 game schedule but ultimately it's all about the money and the players have their new CBA and the owners have their new TV contract and they I'm sure told the networks hey you're going to have a 17 game schedule you're going to have more opportunities to sell more inventory and that's what it's going to come down to it's uh, the health of the players be damned we're making more money Well, and that's exactly what the players are upset about. Torrey Smith, among many players who are tweeting about this, and he says, okay, you're going to do this. I'm paraphrasing, but adjustments have got to be made to keep players healthy. That players were already struggling to stay healthy during a 16-game season, and then you're going to add another game. Um, And hopefully that's something that the the PA and the league can adjust because what – Yes, the money is important, but if the product is not good because your star players are not healthy or because in any way these players are even more depleted, what's the point? Product quality is relative, though. The players thought that what they delivered last year was really good, even without an offseason program and essentially no training camp because of COVID. They feel like they can go through the offseason and training camp without ever really practicing, mm-hmm. just going through walkthroughs and still deliver a product. Now, is the product what it was 20 years ago? No, but relatively speaking, they think, well, we're entertaining enough. So they don't want to do anything where, and I think this is where they'll probably meet is that the players will virtually have to do nothing in terms of practicing until the season starts. And then Once the season starts, then they'll practice a couple of times a week, and that'll be all that'll go into making a football team. I feel like veteran guys year after year have been lobbying for this to happen for a long time from a practice standpoint. And the trade-off is the 17-game schedule, playing that 17th game. You're killing me, Smalls. 
big time news, Randy, from our Miami Dolphins oh, over yeah. the weekend. So they made some major splashes across the NFL landscape. They traded their number three pick to the 49ers in exchange for the number 12 pick this year, a first and third round pick in 2022, and a first round pick in 23. They then flipped it again, sending the number 12 pick, number 123, and their 2022 first round pick to the Eagles in exchange for number six and number 156 in this year's draft. So they come up with a couple of extra number one picks. They still get the sixth pick in this year's draft where they'll probably get the receiver that they wanted anyway. Exactly. And they've set themselves up to build around Tua or replace Tua in the future. I thought it was a fantastic, very deft move. Now the key is going to be drafting well and making those draft choices work, unlike the St. Louis Rams did Mm -hmm. when they made the RG3 trade. You have to make the picks work, but they'll be able to own the draft now for the next couple of years. I loved this move for them because while there were questions about Tua, I still think you don't give up on someone like Tua. You build around him and really see if you can extract the best out of him. And this lets you do that. You give him the weapons that he needs, hopefully, on offense, and you still get to evaluate him for another season while also still having enough draft equity in coming years that if you decide down the road he might not be the guy, you could potentially make a move. Or... If Houston decides, okay, it's not going to work. Now you have more draft equity than anybody else to make a Deshaun Watson trade. Great point. Because that situation has gotten obviously um, increasingly complicated. And I still think we're not at the end of the road there. I agree. And that it might be best now with the situation that he faces in Miami might be best for all parties concerned to get him out of, I, I mean Houston, to get him out of Houston. And heck, if, if you're the Texans, who's going to be able to give you more for Deshaun than Miami? Nobody is. But they know their asking price has probably decreased. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, we'll still get, heck, we'll still get two really good players this year. We. We as in the Dolphins? Yeah. I love that. You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, and one other interesting note, another flip, if you will, Randy. Shaka Smart out at Texas, but not because he got fired, but because he's taking the job at Marquette. And I thought this was a really smart move by Shaka Smart. And a lot of people are probably thinking, why? Why would you leave a job at Texas to go somewhere like Marquette, even though Marquette has had a good basketball program? Well, he gets bounced early in the tournament after being a number three seed, losing to Abilene Christian. And he was on the hot seat big time at Texas. And nothing short of winning the national championship next season would likely satisfy that school and that fan base. So he's probably going to be out of a job in about a year anyway. So for him to sense that that was coming and get out while he can, I thought was a pretty smart move by him. And goes to, at the very least, an equal program, if not a program that gives you a better opportunity to win a national championship playing in the Big East. And he's at a basketball-only school now. He can be... Well, he's the college guy Mm -hmm. in Milwaukee, not in the state, obviously, because they've got the football team, University of Wisconsin. But with all the success that he had at VCU, he can get those sorts of athletes. He's from Wisconsin. Yeah, he's born and raised in Madison. Yep. So he can get those sorts of athletes to Marquette. And I think that he can build as dominant a program, relatively speaking, as he could have at Texas. Can't get fired, Randy, if you leave first. That's a great play on Shaka's part. By the way, along the college basketball lines, I don't know if it's official, but there was a report yesterday that the 
Indiana Hoosiers were going to hire Mike Woodson? Yes. You have that one already? I uh, believe he, that he, that is he, he, bulletin official. Yep. It is? Six years. So this is a guy that's been in the NBA for 25 years. He's 63 years old and has no history in college basketball. He's an IU guy. Mm-hmm. I, why the hell did he fire Archie Miller? Aren't you rolling the dice? Is, is there a greater unknown than hiring a 63-year-old guy who spent the last 25 years in the NBA and has no history of coaching in college basketball? Those Tom Crean years looking pretty good. Yeah, they sure are. But that's the thing about these schools, whether it's a Michigan or whether it's in Indiana or, or, I mean, the list could go on, whether it's college football or basketball. If you were once a dominant power, you are going to be searching for the person to bring you back to relevance until you get there. And I think a lot of these schools don't realize the jig is up. That it's never going to be like it was for them under Bobby Knight. Correct. It's never going to be like it was back then. They bring back a Bobby Knight guy. And I wonder if they even offered the job to Porter Moser. Because if they didn't, shame on them. I know they offered it to Brad Stevens and he turned it down. But if they didn't, that's a huge, huge L. I I would have given him, I would have basically figured out what the highest number was that was palatable for both sides and just given it to him. I would have too. And they did offer it to Chris Holtman, the Ohio State head coach. So you offer it to two guys who've had a high level of success at the college level. Why not offer it to a third in Moser? I, I don't get it. It's just, it's ridiculous on the part of Indiana. Well, and I thought it was interesting that there were all those reports about them pursuing Brad Stevens. Mm-hmm. And even if things aren't great in Boston, is Brad Stevens really leaving an NBA gig to go back to college basketball? and resurrect a program like Indiana, why would that be intriguing to him at all? Only if it's money. Only if they're going to pay him a ridiculous amount of money. But he's he seems really safe in Boston. It, and to think about going to the NBA, you're stable in one place, you're getting paid big-time money, even if the pressure's there, I can't imagine, at least personally, then wanting to go back and recruit and have to go through mm-hmm. that grind again. It doesn't... It, the money would have to be... Nowhere near. It would have to be in a completely different ballpark. I would say the odds are against Indiana being able to win the Big Ten. With your Illini, with Michigan, with Ohio State, with the way that the the whole setup, Wisconsin's still a good program. Heck, Rutgers is good. Yeah. (laughs) I would not be betting on Mike Woodson if I were... As a college basketball fan, but if, if you're IU, I think you got to be disappointed if you're an IU fan. Purdue, also a tournament right. team. I mean, we could really go down the list in the big... Michigan State was an intriguing team this year. They they beat Michigan, and who else did they beat down the stretch? Anyway, yeah. uh, and Tom Izzo is there, yeah. obviously. So they'll be fine. I don't... I wouldn't put, Iowa, tournament team. Yeah. So is Mike Woodson the hill you want to die on? I'm not sure. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. Coming up next, we're going to cross things over with Dan McLaughlin. The Dan McLaughlin Show with BK is coming up. Danny Mac getting ready for the Cardinals opener on Thursday. He just stepped into the studio. Will join us on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Dan McLaughlin joins us in studio, getting ready for the Dan McLaughlin Show here on 101 ESPN. Danny Mack, you told me last week what you thought the Cardinal roster would be, and lo and behold, it's pretty much what you said. Yeah, it, it came to fruition. you know what's going on. Well, I was uh, the one I was kind of sketchy with, and I guess I shouldn't have been, was John Nagowski. But I think after the situation with um, Bader going on the IL, 
And then Williams having a fourth option, I thought that opened up, for lack of a better term, options for other guys. And I thought, well, Nagowski could slip on here and make this team. And I, I think when you look at what happened in camp, the guy that had the chance and didn't run with it in, in just looking at how the roster's constructed is Lane Thomas. Yep. Mm-hmm. It was there for the taking and got off to a good start. He was competing with Tyler O'Neill in a lot of ways because I think Bader would have been the everyday center fielder, at least at the onset, to see then how he contributed against right-handed pitching. But O'Neill got hot and Thomas tailed off, and here he is in the minor leagues. I, I think it's really disappointing for him. At the beginning of spring training, we all figured that Sosa and Carpenter would be the backup infielders. We all figured that Kisner would be the backup catcher. The difference is that Dean and Nagoski are here, and the Baders hurt, and Thomas isn't. That's really, if you go back to when the Cardinals started on a couple of days after Valentine's Day, that's the only real surprise from the start of spring training and i guess austin dean making the move yeah austin dean has got a live bat and they if you look at how the the roster is constructed and if kisner is not going to be playing a lot and by all accounts he didn't play a lot in spring training because yadi was playing a ton yadi played a day game after a night game yesterday <laughs> i mean you can't get the guy out of the lineup but he did hit when he had the chance so my point is is that in regular season play if you're not carrying a third catcher he's got to be available to, to sit on the bench and be available if Yachty gets hurt. So there's one bat down. And I think if you look at how they come out of camp, Sosa hasn't hit, but he's out of options. Mm-hmm. So Carpenter hasn't hit. And you were going to carry him because you're paying him $19 million and hope he gets straightened out. So you need to figure out somebody to give you some pretty competitive at-bats in that bench. And to me, it's Nagowski has done everything to make this team. There is nothing else he could have done to try to make the team. All he did was hit, and he hit in every situation. And Austin Dean provides you a a legitimate bat off the bench to give you some pop. So that's why I think they went in that direction, because Thomas wasn't hitting. Right. And by the way, Michelle, uh, via the text line today, did get an idea for a John Nagowski nickname. Um, someone submitted the big Nagowski. The big Nagowski. I like that. I know that Jamie and BK, I think this is like Christmas morning for them. Um, they had the Nogfather going, yeah. so I, I do like that. I texted with John uh, last night, just told him, you know, congratulations. And, you know, you, you not only deserve it, but you earned it. And he said, I'm so excited. Now let's go get a championship. Wow. That, that's great a, response. Cool. That's what he said. I mean, how many guys say that? Normally it's like, oh, it's been a long road. I'm, I'm so thrilled. I'm excited for me and my family and everything. He says, I'm thrilled. Let's go win a title is awesome. what I think exactly what he said. So I, and I think BK's got him coming up on his show too. Good. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Meanwhile, when you look at, uh, the way things are working for guys like Edmundo Sosa, like Austin Dean, the fact that there isn't in the first month AAA baseball, that they aren't going to start until a month later than normal, works to those guys' advantage to try to get something going at the major league level. Remember, and I made the comparison with Michelle to Johnny Peralta in 17 when they gave him about a month and they had guys ready to come up. Now you're going to have the camp, but you aren't going to have that competition the guys are able to show themselves in. Yeah, so you're going to have, I think the way the taxi squad works is that you have five players is it maybe six or is it five with a catcher? But one is a catcher. So it's either four or five. So some of those guys are going to work out and stay down in Florida probably and then go with the taxi squad and then start working out over at Soje and, uh, and and making sure that they stay in baseball-ready shape. So I'm, I'm looking forward to you know seeing some of those guys that have that opportunity. I wish we were doing our road games from 
the ballpark. Now, we're doing it from a studio, but I'll tell you why. If you're at the ballpark, you'd be able to watch two baseball games going on probably mm-hmm. at the same time. Like Ricky Horton told me a great story last year. He said they were doing a road game on radio, and he said, but I was more interested in watching – I think it was Yachty and DeYoung facing Libertor and Thompson yeah. down on the field at Bush Stadium. So you, you could have uh, the best of both worlds down there. By the way, too, John Mosellock did say that they are hopeful and it looks like it's going to happen. They're going to they're going to play today and then fly to Cincinnati. And when they land in Cincinnati, his understanding that he explained to the media, and I'm sure we'll get into more of this with BK, is that players will have the opportunity to be vaccinated tonight. And it'll be the one dose, the J&J. And so when that happens, and I, I don't, not an epidemiologist. I don't know how certain people are, you know, affected with the vaccine. And, you know, some are having no symptoms. Some say it's 24 hours or whatever the case may be. But at least that gives them time, Tuesday off, Wednesday off, and then Thursday opening day. If there are any adverse effects, I'm sure guys could, you know, feel better by by Thursday. And I don't know about how you guys feel about this. I, I think it's been imperative for Major League Baseball to get these guys vaccinated. I'm not saying jump the line, so I want to be clear mm-hmm. about that, yeah. but get them vaccinated because, as we saw with the outbreak with the Marlins and the Cardinals, you, you have one or two guys that get on a plane or a bus and it spreads, and you're trying to fill 162 games. I, You know, my biggest concern about them starting spring training on time, which I'm very thankful that they did, but just reading it was, you know, what happens if you have a shutdown and these guys don't have the vaccination come regular season okay. time? You know, how do you fit those games in if you don't, if if you have 162 games? I think it's very, very tough to do. You don't get to it. I also think that that's great. They're getting the option because if they are going into a ballpark environment where more people are going to be there, obviously increase in fans as the season goes on, you're going to have more workers there. It's nice for them to know that they're going to have that option. Absolutely. And I was thinking that too, you know, you're going to have 15,000 people roughly on opening day in St. Louis. It will be opened at uh, all ballparks across the country. But, you know, to your point, I, I don't know. Like, I was watching the NCAA tournament yesterday. Maybe you guys know the answer to this, but I was they, they did kind of a wide shot of the of Hinkle, and they, they had the tarp on probably it looked like six or seven rows of the front row, and then, the yeah. you know, there were some fans there, and then there was a lot of fans in the upper deck. I, I don't know if, if the Cardinals are going to do something like that. So when you think of, like, a guy is on deck at Bush Stadium, they're very close to that front row of, right. of fans. So it's just something to think about yeah. going forward. Looking forward to the show coming up. Yeah, we'll talk about all the, the roster decisions. Hear from John Mosellock, hear from uh, Mike Schilt, and uh, dive into that for the next hour. All right, great to see you. You too, guys, thanks. Great, uh, looking forward to the great Dan McLaughlin. Thanks to our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. And Michelle, this was fun. Happy Monday. It was, ready to see you tomorrow. And we appreciate you tuning in, texting, and being a part of the show for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. 
Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.